health is about more than just staying fit. And with every year that goes by, I'm becoming more and more fascinated by how what we eat can impact our health and our potential, with a particular focus on gut health and the gut microbiome. It's not just what I eat either, it's how I eat too. It's all connected. That's why I've developed my own number one living drinks brand. Number One Living is based on this idea, the simple notion that by putting our well-being first and improving the quality of what we put into our bodies, we get more out of life. My range of kombucha drinks are full of bacterial life cultures, designed for a happy and healthy gut. They're sugar-free, vegan and naturally sourced, so you can feel great on the inside and enjoy life on the outside. Choose from refreshing raspberry, passion fruit or our award-winning ginger and turmeric kombucha. The number one living range is widely available in Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett's and Boots stores and online at numberoneliving.com. Grab yours today. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of I Am with the incredible Henry Fraser, author, mouth painter and exceptional human being. He's definitely undergone some challenging and profound experiences from becoming paralyzed from the neck down in 2009. I have a shorter episode released on Tuesday this week that breaks down who Henry is in full, but also how I came to know him and what I think is so empowering about his viewpoint and his personality. If you fancy listening in, then head over to the Tuesday episode dropped earlier this week where I explain it all. These Thursday episodes are just for the guests. Henry, thanks very much for joining me, mate. It's such a, uh, an awesome privilege and a pleasure to be able to speak to you. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's good to, see you, good to see you again, and thanks for having me on. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Thank you. Very good. And uh, so the podcast is called the I Am Podcast, and it's very much to do with exploring the immensity of what it means to be human and all that potential. And it also deals a lot with looking at interesting transformations that people might be experiencing and undergoing and, and trying to get their understandings of them. I wanted to start by letting you tell a bit, if it's okay, about your story, because it's so interesting to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm one of four boys, grew up in a very competitive household. And then age of 17 was when everything, everything changed for me. End of AS exams, group of mates started to fly down to the Algarve and enjoy a week's lads holiday of just kind of going out, enjoying the sun, relaxing. And fifth day of a holiday, I playing on the beach, throwing a rock ball around, middle of summer, boiling hot, I decided to go and cool off in the sea. And as I've run in, kind of as I had done for all the previous days, slightly different part of the beach this time, ran in, dived forward, and where I thought the seabed would can kind of Continued to trail off and get deeper, sandbank straight my way, head first straight into that. And in that moment, kind of, I thought I'd open my eyes expecting to get up, kind of go join my mates back on the beach, start planning our evening out, start thinking about all the you know, fun things to come that, that night. Um, but I opened my eyes, still in the water, kind of just there, floating, staring through the sea to the, to the seabed, my kind of arms just completely lifeless, dangling there in front of me. And... Yeah, that moment obviously was a pretty, pretty scary. Well, what was probably only a few seconds, but felt felt like forever in that moment. You know, I'm there, kind of swearing, panicking, just desperate for way to stay alive and catch a breath. And yeah, that moment, I did kind of think that was it. Luckily, a couple of friends close by. I saw them out the corner of my eye, kind of saw their feet in the water. I turned my head slightly. They asked if I was okay. I said no. They dragged me to the beach. And from, yeah, from that moment, I've been dependent on people to move and will be. For, for the rest of my life. Wow. So you've written a couple of sensational books, may I add. And in your, your first one, The Little Big Things, that you describe that part of your journey in, in some quite detail. And it's, and it's intense. Reading it is, it is intense. And what was so interesting to me was that you had the accident and then you were in hospital and you come out. But the accident almost kind of like you said was the start of it. It sounded like it was just a, a non-stop roller coaster of challenges that you met after that as well the mrsa the pneumonia which meant that you were moving wards you had to be kept away from patients other patients all these kind of things that just it just sounded like it couldn't even be sort of fairly straightforward after the accident and there were operations i believe as well that were that, that didn't quite work yeah so kind of from the moment i went to the hospital it was all because obviously they knew that something 
pretty serious result. The moment I arrived at the hospital, it was rushing me to, to the x-ray and then to the CAT scans. The, kind of the moment I got in, the moment they got the x-ray back, the doctor was quickly applying this numbing cream to the sides of my head. But before it was kind of really taking effect, I just felt him pushing hard on these two screws. They're basically kind of attached to the skull. Because I was wearing this kind of halo thing around my head, which when I was lying flat, they're just sort of hanging some weights off that off the back of the bed, really. Because they're trying to stretch my neck out to get the vertebrae that I dislocated to kind of slide back into place. So from that moment, obviously, I was pretty like, okay, this is pretty mad. And then after three days, my heart rate and oxygen levels started to really drop and drop fast. So they quickly rushed me to surgery to try and realign my neck. So they went through the front of my neck, kind of just to the side of the Adam's apple to try and do it from there. But that didn't work. After that, well, I had the tubes in my throat, the ventilator helping me breathe. Well, breathing for me completely. I do all the drips on the side of my bed because I'd found the hemorrhoid septicemia. Shortly after that, I was in contracting pneumonia. Then that was when all the panic, all the kind of worries started to kind of really hit home and settle because, you know, I'm just, I was just 17 years old. I didn't know what, what was going on or I didn't even know my prognosis at the time. I hadn't been told a thing. It wasn't until I think just after my second operation where they went through the back of my neck where they eventually were able to bolt and screw and wire the vertebrae into place that the head nurse at the time came over to me and he just said to me you'll never be able to move your arms and legs again and obviously that pretty hard I was a fit very healthy guy at the time I was very active I loved sport going to the gym all those things and we told that in a way I was quite lucky I was on a lot of meds a lot of drugs at the time because I guess it kind of softened the blur a bit so I wasn't kind of 100% present but it's still hard it was still a big thing to try and understand and work out what was going on and at the time I guess I kind of hated the fact he just said it to me like that but I'd prefer he said it to me straight rather than give any false hope or lie to me really in that moment I mean you mentioned just being 17 I mean that's I I look back when I'm 17 and, and at the time you think you're ready for anything but you look back now and think it's so young yeah and and then you speak about the sports side of things and the activity and, and so much of that expression, which maybe comes back to being allowed to be who you are and or what you feel you are and so on. And, and all that passion and enjoyment and that, that, I mean, there's a monster, a monster challenge there that it's beyond my capacity to really fathom. And hence why this is such an interesting and inspiring kind of opportunity to talk to you. But I wonder about that challenge. There's something you mentioned, excuse me, sort of quoting words from your book, but I just found it so, so interesting that a big part of what you mentioned is talking about acceptance, but what shape and form did that take for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, it happened in stages over quite a period of time. You know, I had to accept my new limitations, my new kind of loss of independence, all these things that I was having to confront in kind of what was relatively short space of time early on. You know, acceptance starts with realisation, that point of knowing things are bad, realising you're in a bad place, in a bad situation, which, you know, for me, I couldn't really hide from. I wasn't going to live in denial to what happens. And yeah, acceptance, it came through, I guess, probably starts at the moment I saw, in fact, probably starts at the moment that nurse told me, you'd never be able to see it. So, you know, that was a, that was a low, low moment for me. There are a couple of significant moments during my time in hospital as well. Well, I guess it wasn't until I returned to school 13 months after the accident where I was boarding during the week that I think I was fully, I 100% accepted what had happened. Because then I was having to take more control of my days. I was having to be around other people immediately, all the other pupils at school. I couldn't kind of hide anything. This kind of, I had to just be like, this is me, this is my life. This is the new me. I'm just going to get on, on with it and live it. And it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time determination and resilience through those tougher moments but it's fully worth it because once you're out the other end it's kind of far bigger and better than you ever realized so so that's i mean that's that's something i really want to to explore and something that's very interesting to me is when you're talking about being around other people and how much of how we see ourselves or, or what's important to us revolves around maybe other people and what they're thinking and, and doing and, and transcending that you know is such an enormous an enormous thing but in terms of your mindset and your personality when you were in your teens or even before what kind of how would you have described yourself there i would describe myself as a very negative person very really very anxious person i pretty much every situation i went to always went in thinking the worst thing 
always just so completely utter terrified of doing something and not being able to do it or doing it wrong that I just wouldn't do it. You know, there are many times in my playing when I was playing rugby, I guess I had an injury that I would use as an excuse to not do things. I would kind of play it up in my head to be far worse than it really was. I enjoyed very much kind of not being centre of attention, being away from most people. I kind of definitely had a bit of like social anxiety, to be honest. You know, all those things. I was just all these moments that I guess just kind of dogged me that, I don't know, I never dealt with it at the time. I, and also, I never asked for help before Baxton. A lot of the anxiety I had was self-inflicted. So, so it's, it's really interesting you speak about the fear of failure or whatever it might have been in those younger years. And I know f- very well what you're talking about with, with the rugby stuff, you know, being in the change room before a game and, and that idea that should someone open a little back door and say, look, you can get out now if you want and no one will know. Yeah. You're kind of thinking, oh, <laughs> how can I, you know, if you had a car running with, with, <laughs> yeah, with the door open, I could sprint, dive in and just pretend that I was, you know, I had to, I had a, an important emergency to attend to whatever it be. But that kind of survivalist attitude of almost just getting through, do you know what I mean? Like I just need to get through this sort of thing. And I, I'm really, really powerfully aware of that. And yet, Throughout my career, I ended up at the end of my final game, and this was 18 years worth of having a chance to work on this. And and for a lot of that journey, knowing that the 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 joy I was after was beyond this, through acceptance and just giving it a go and preparing to be vulnerable. Still, I, I had so much of that still going on in my final game. I hadn't transcended it, and I'm interested. Could you have seen yourself sort of making this kind of transformation without that challenge? Um, to be honest, no. I think I probably needed something like this from me. But at the same time, I don't know if, you know, had I spoken to someone, had I laced down the line, had not had the accident, whether I kind of understood those feelings I was having more, then that would have allowed me to then tackle them differently and, and express them express them differently. You know, I always, I always say when I finish the talk is that I kind of believe we've all got it in us to to go through moments like this, to come out the other side. It just, everyone will tackle it in a different way. will take a different amount of time to get through it. But I generally, for the person I am before to one now, I, I feel like I kind of, if I can do it, anyone can. And how would you describe yourself now then relative to how you describe yourself as a, as a, as a younger guy? Now, I mean, yeah, I guess now is about pretty much completely reversed in terms of kind of a new situation, a new challenge. It's always thinking about the positive outcome. And not thinking about it not working or, or failing. It's about thinking, okay, well, if it doesn't work, then I've got two options that I know are coming out. The other end of that is, one, I didn't enjoy it, so I'm not going to do it again. Or the second one, I, I enjoyed it, it didn't quite work out. Oh, I know what I need to now change next time for it to work, for these things. And, you know, that's what I do a lot of my life is constantly adapting, is constantly changing, realizing, kind of working around situations or, all these things and you know there are most, so many moments now that kind of chances I've taken that have worked out well that you know I look I can look back for Max and go oh what if I had done that what if I had done this and you know I'm not going to have that in my life again I'm going to I'm going to enjoy it whether it works out or not I just know that if it doesn't work then it might not work for me and I'll find something else to do. I think for me as a young as a younger person when I was playing sport and what have you I've got the impression that, and and it seems to be, for me, such a massive part of society and and psychology as a whole that we really, really identify ourselves physically mm. with our bodies and and what we can do with our bodies, and it's almost like we take on the limitations of the body. So who we are takes on the limitations of how fast we can run, what we look like and so on and I'm really interested to sort of see what your experience of life is different now that you know like you said you have different limitations physically and yet what you seem to be expressing to me I guess is that you there's been so much growth beyond belief in terms of you and who you are and yet physically there hasn't been the same growth and I'm really interested in in that how do you feel about yeah about who you are now compared to who you were then yeah I mean I really very much defined my life by my physicality before especially in the gym I was lucky I was naturally I was naturally quick I was naturally strong so I could I could do things that 
pretty much no one else could do in school or a club and things like that. And I guess for me, that was like my my thing. That's the thing I guess I kind of clung on to quite a lot. You know, I wasn't mentally strong, but, you know, I could be physically strong. And, you know, I had vanity about it as well at the time. I can't can't lie about that. And, yeah, I now, you know, my body shape's completely different, obviously, because I can't move anything from the tops of my shoulders down. The muscles below are almost non-existent. My brothers would say I probably still got the same gut I had before the accident. But... <laughs> brothers, brothers are great like that. Oh yeah, they're, they're, they're always there to build you up. But yeah, and so you know, I've had to kind of, I've had to really let go of that. And I think the physical side of it took me a little while to get over as well. You know, even things to me like I always was worried how people saw me. Even things like you know, I'd go watch Will play rugby or something, and I didn't want to have a blanket on my legs to keep me warm. So I'd be like, oh, it kind of look, it makes me look kind of vulnerable and all these things. And I'd think, oh, that's how people are looking at me. Then what's well, the point where I was like, what? like I don't care. <laughs> I need to have a blanket. I need to stay warm. I don't want to get cold. I don't want that to impact the rest of my day or my enjoyment of the rugby and all these things. Like, I've had to really think, oh, I don't care how people see me in, in my wheelchair, in the way I move things, or if I'm out and I need someone to feed me or give me a drink. Like, I don't care. This That's me. I can't change. I can't change any of that. There's no point in me worrying about that. And if other people want to judge me or make comments about it, then that's their own issues. That's something they need to sort out. That's but that's nothing to do with me. That's that's on them. Yeah, I, I think that kind of understanding or, or even experiential kind of realization is powerful, and it's envi- it's sort of enviable. It's also something that is quite easy to kind of get and talk about, but actually to live is is quite incredible. Is that been a big liberating force for you that comparison idea like you said finding your own identity not in reference to anyone else almost definitely yeah i've kind of since accident i want to do things my way take control of things again because that before the accident i very much just kind of followed the line never never towed the line i never tried i never kind of went against the grain i never did anything like that Whereas now it's like, okay, well, this is my life. I'm going to control it. And I think, you know, one of the big things for me is understanding. I talk about a lot about kind of my independent dependence. I rely on people to do, you know, most things for me, to brush my teeth, feed me, dress me, wash me, all these things. But letting go of that, understanding that that's something that I can't do, that I can't control. I can tell them how to do it, but, you know, that's just one part of my everyday life. It's allowed me to focus on the things that I can control that I am me. I'm not, people can't be tenacious for me. People can't be creative for me. I'm not going to have people think for me. Those are things that I can control. And realizing that and understanding that has allowed me to take far more control and independence in my life than I've ever had, which has been huge for me. It's allowed me to explore things much more. It's allowed me to know myself much better and just, you know, and be happier, I guess, as well. And with regard to, I mean, it's really interesting I'm, when, you, when you're saying that, I'm thinking a lot of those things you mentioned is about your kind of physical survival, which is important, you know, looking after your, your body and everything and maintenance of your body and, and hugely, hugely important. But again, going back to what we we're saying about your physical identity is that there's something so much bigger. Mm. And when, as you were talking about being in the, in the rugby scenario with fear of failure and when you're, you're trying to sort of control your survival of who you are, you're almost working against that growth. Mm. When you're trying to you know, keep your, your old idea of who you are alive by just looking after it and controlling it rather than allowing it to, to fall, allowing it to fail, allowing it to, to be vulnerable and see what's on the other side. I remember I, I saw something you, you wrote a long time ago, something along the lines of, you know, it, it's amazing how far you find out you can go once you think you've hit rock bottom, you know that kind of idea that when you meet your limit, you'll be surprised how much further you can go. And I find that really powerful. When you say getting to know yourself, is there a little bit of that involved where getting to know yourself now doesn't take place through confirming what you think you knew, but in fact actually being challenged and being led somewhere else almost? Yeah, and I think, you know, I've, I've got a lot of kind of routines, a lot of things in my life that are constant in my everyday life. But outside of that, I do like to challenge myself, see what else there is, see what more I can do, see what, what else there is for me. And, you know, the 
art's a big part of that. Public speaking been the biggest kind of example of that in my in my life. So yeah, I think definitely allowing myself, not restricting myself all the time. I mean, people always talk about comfort zones. A lot of people say comfort zones are bad things. Comfort zones aren't bad things. They're wonderful things because we all need that place, that thing we go back to and sit and feel good and kind of, I guess, like, you know, regain our energy, feel good again to then be prepared to step out and be uncomfortable and have that challenge, which I really enjoy. You know, my comfort zone sits at my easel, just painting away in my own space without needing anyone around me. It's just me and the painting. But then when I go out and I give the talks, I'm in a whole a different venue, a different situation. I'm going to be asked different questions. I have all these things that are going to push me. So I can come back to comfort. And I think having that balance, that kind of push and pull all the time is, is a good thing. And it definitely has helped me expand my mind and explore life in a whole new way. Yeah. I think what's really interesting is we're coming on to your, your paintings. Like I mentioned, you've, you've written a couple of books, little big things and the power in you. And, and then also another huge part of your life seems to be your painting. Both of those forms of expression, very creative, do you find yourself being more creative and less, as you said, like controlling and survival? The opposite to that for me is, in fact, being creative, being expressive, being open and what have you. How, how's this painting? How did that come about, that, that, that sort of flourishing in that area? Well, I started it was Jan 2015. I just saw on my back consequences of spinal cord injuries, lack of blood flow, all these things. You can get sores. I happened to get one at that time. And I was stuck in bed because so I was having to lie on my sides, get the pressure off and hair it and all these things. Then when, when I was able to sit up in bed, I had to put a load of cutting cushions behind my back to keep the pressure off. Put some cushions on my lap and my iPad on top of that. And I kind of used an iPad the same way, paint, mouse stick, stylus tape. So in the end, I just found this really, really basic drawing app. And I just tried it and, you know, I loved it. And, yeah, embarrassing to say, but I'm talking to you. First thing I drew was your drop. <laughs> but I remember we spoke about this anyway, didn't we? We met at your, your gallery um, not far from your school when uh, you one of your first galleries, I remember having a, an amazing time there yeah. with that. And I did see the picture, which, you know, which still, it's humbling to me to to be like, like you said, that's when you were beginning with this. And I couldn't even, it would take me my entire lifetime to come up with anything that would, would do, yeah, would, would compare. <laughs> and so that was the first one. Yeah. And then, yeah, then I had a few more when I was sitting in bed and then when I was able to get out of bed. I started with actual kind of pencils and paints. It just built from there. And I did, so when I was young, I always enjoyed art, always enjoyed making stuff, especially kind of with my hands physically. But I always enjoyed art, but I was never great at the creative side of it. I never kind of let my mind free, I guess, to, to think. So I was always, again, so I was always worried about what other people would think of it or me. And I think after everything I've been through and I was doing, then when I started getting the art after accidents, I guess that new mindset I've had and that new way of thinking has allowed me to be far more creative in what I'm doing. And think differently i'm not always painting the same thing i'm not always painting the same style i'm always trying something new or trying to do something different without worry and without fear and that's definitely as a result of the accident and this new mindset i have of just not worrying and not caring about to be honest it's always about what others think of me really rather than of my of myself and but now i don't have that worry i don't have that that fear anymore it's allowed me to have much much more fun with it and do different things and yeah, I love it. Your art, your paintings, your drawings, I mean, they're they are phenomenal. And you can also see, as you mentioned, from 2015 to now, because of what you're experimenting with and exploring, the way you're, you're moving, I'm not going to say forward and improving, because I think, like I said, I think they're all they're all immensely perfect as they are. But you, you look as though you're, you're becoming more and more, I don't know, able to to create some you know, stuff that's, that's beyond belief. Is that is... Is that creativity, you think, a deeper expression of you now coming out? Do you find that you're able to, that connection with that easel, you mentioned it being a comfort zone. Do you also think that's a place where you're able to, yeah, a lot of that is, is something deeper from you that's coming out? Yeah, I mean, I guess as, as a person, I'm far more open, whether it's kind of socially, whether it's just talking. I mean, my brothers, again, would say, you know, when any social situation for us, I would just mumble. I wouldn't, and I didn't. And, you know, I wouldn't really talk to people. I wouldn't really, like, I was just wasn't great socially. I was good with my mates and good you know, yeah. if we went out. But in other situations, it was, it was a complete, like, no, non-starter. And it was, now I'm kind of, I guess, it's forced me to be more open. And, yeah, with other people, I mean, in the books, I'm as open and as honest as I 
as I possibly can be. And I think that's one of the things that, that people actually respond respond to most when reading them. That's really powerful, yeah. And I've had people out of the blue, kind of after reading my books, have emailed me just to share their stories. And I get these huge emails from people revealing some incredibly deep moments in their lives and real deep struggles that they've had. And they've just responded. At the end, they've just written... They just go, I'm not expecting a reply, I'm not expecting just what I just wanted to share. I wanted to let it out because of, of the honesty that I'd shown in my books. And that's massively, like, I feel incredibly privileged that these people are willing to do that with me. And, you know, incredibly honoured that they're willing to share and see me as I'm a complete stranger to them. But just being open and honest shows that it's just, a, it's just a great way to be. And again, it wasn't someone I was for the accident, but... I'm happy I am now and I'm happy that other people are able to see that and they're able to then experience that themselves in their lives. I think the 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 process of, of acceptance is, for me, it's one I, I really am exp- exploring deeply and that open honesty, that almost getting things off your chest mm. is, is as much part, you know, is a huge part of it as opposed to, you know, that kind of idea of sitting there and having that conversation in your mind and saying, right, this is how things are now. I've got to get used to it, et cetera. And I, I, I sort of was really interested at that. I think you mentioned in your, in your book, just about how there was a moment in, in hospital, I think you, you alluded to it just earlier on when you said there were some key moments in hospital where you did have a, it sounded like you had a, a certain day, day and a half, whatever it was of really just letting it out almost i think it might have been when you, you were sort of like getting around the chair for the first time and saw yourself mm. in the doors or whatever it was and yeah that that sounded like almost quite a a lot coming out do, do you see that as, as part of it as well when these people are telling you getting things out is it is that a big part of it oh definitely yeah that day i mean it's up until that day i had a lot of emotional days and the day after i landed back in england where my brothers came and saw me wildly emotional day a lot of tears. Whenever a friend came to see me for the first time, I cried. Family members, I cried. We all cried. There was a lot. That was a huge moment for us early on, especially, especially my brothers. You know, we're a family, mostly men. Like I said, I'm one of four brothers and his dad and mum. You know, I'd shown those, that emotion wasn't really something we did. You know, again, whether it's society thing, whatever, men being able to do that, that wasn't, I guess, something we really did. But in that moment, it was huge for us. Because it allowed us to let it out, not hold anything back, release it all immediately. And then from that moment, kind of start again, just being brothers and being, quotation mark, normal in what whatever normal is. But having that, letting that go. And that day later on when I was put into the chair for the first time was two months after my accident, just about two months. And it was awesome to be out of bed. It's the first time in two months I'd got out of bed. And I was in the chair this Big chair with a headrest, couldn't even support my own head at the time. See how the track goes from my throat with an oxygen tank attached to it. Big armrest to support me because I couldn't balance. But I loved being out of bed and going around the hospital. I was able to see all the places that people had described and, you know, the cafe and all the other bits that I hadn't seen, I'd only heard of. And we went outside. It was late summer. It's still warm. About to come back in. And that was when I saw my reflection in the two glass doors of the main entrance. And kind of everything in that moment just stopped world around me just stopped it was the first time I'd seen myself in two months at that point I'd lost four stone I was just kind of super thin clothes that were tying me before just hanging off me and the moment I got back to my room I got mum to pull the curtain around my bed and I just I broke completely broke and that was the first day I'd kind of I'd ask the question why me and yeah I just cried and when my brothers came to see me I, that day I cried and dad was in came to see me I cried and, you know, but releasing all that in that moment was huge. And I say, actually, when I give talks, I always say, tears tell the truth. And I could release all, all my fears and helplessness could be released through those tears, through letting out, not holding it back. And that night, I was on some pretty heavy sleeping tablets. I was lying in bed. They couldn't even send me off to sleep. My mind was just going and going. Early hours of the morning, I was just staring at the ceiling. I just suddenly thought to myself, well, there's no point in me feeling this way. I've got no, no one to blame for what's happening. May as well just get on with it. And that day I was able to kind of switch my mindset and start looking at things differently, start pushing myself more, challenging myself more, challenging the hospital more, and really just start pushing myself. And yeah, without that day, the acceptance probably would have taken longer. I probably would have got 
to the acceptance still. But that day was a bit nice, a nice Kickstarter. As hard as it was, it was a day that I needed. You know, a day that was kind of very, very helpful to me in many, many ways. And and that striving that you talk about in terms of what came after that, that seems to be a really big message of yours in terms of that the power of life in in striving and that purpose and that that goal and I sort of remember in the book a really big part you you sort of mentioned and, and something we've spoke about as well in the past is you're talking about focusing on what you can do is that the basis of, of the striving as well yeah so i think it's once you know your limitations once you know what you exactly what you can do you're able to then work around things much easier and able to understand again what you can and cannot do and you can then push those limits. You can challenge those limits. And yeah, for me, having that focus on always what I can do is huge, whether it is in physio training, whether it is with the art. You know, I've had to understand my body in much deeper, tougher ways, physically and mentally, than I ever had to before my accidents. Even when I'm painting, I'm having to know, limit myself. But those limits have actually allowed me to enjoy painting. Now I enjoy it more than I even did at the start. It's, it's all these things. It's all this constant learning and being willing to understand that you're always going to be learning about yourself in life. You're never really going to fully un- understand yourself, I don't think, which is a good thing, which is a fun thing, which is a, an exciting thing. So you're always going to be finding out new things. Whether they're good or bad, it gives you a greater understanding of yourself. And that's been huge for me. Yeah, I guess at times when people are still facing situations where maybe they haven't quite had that sort of... There's a, where people might be in their lives with regard to sort of coming to acceptance of things and the idea about striving and being motivated towards stuff, it may seem like quite a long way away and almost part of the impossible. And I read in, in one of your books about a, a quote from St. Francis of Assisi that was talking about do what, start with what's necessary and then get busy with doing what's possible almost and pretty soon you're doing the impossible and almost gathering that momentum. So, and, and you mentioned also, I think, in you, talking about not, trying to get too carried away at the beginning and just start finding your feet and gathering that speed. And I can't help but feel that you mentioned that in your book as a kind of inspirational kind of guidance. And yet looking at your path, it's kind of almost accelerating and expanding just like that. Is, is that part of what striving was like for you? Was it, was it those little things that got you going? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, so when I landed back in England, I was in intensive care, then I was moved up and onto the acute ward. And then that was when the my uh, consultant at the time said, oh, most likely you're going to be here for 18 months. And to me, that was like a pretty big hammer blow. I think a year and a half of my life is not always a big, kind of a big chunk gone. But then I said to him, okay, what do I need to be able to get out of hospital? He said, you need to go to the rehab. He said, okay, what do I need to get to the rehab? Or he said, we well, need to be off the ventilator. You, need, you should be breathing independently. So I said, okay. I then worked with my chest physio for breathing at the time. I said, okay, what do I need to do to get the ventilator? He said, well, you we need to get rid of the ventilator. You'll be on oxygen tank for a bit. Then you need to have a period without it. And then we'll get rid of the tracheotomy completely. So I said, okay, what do I need to do? I said, okay, well, basically you need to do five minutes tomorrow without the ventilator attached. So what was in a day went from an 18-month goal was reduced to five minutes the following day. We just reined it right back in. And my focus from that point wasn't leaving. It was that five minutes. And it was about, in that five minutes, giving it my all, giving it everything I've got and being fully focused and present in that moment. Next day was 10, then 15, 20 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and it was built and built and built. And eventually I was off the ventilator in record time and I was out of hospital six months later because I wasn't worried about the end. That end goal wasn't my thing anymore. It was about that tiny moment each day, those little bits each day, that focus. Because when you have those big goals, those kind of long targets, they can be extremely overwhelming. If they don't happen when you want them to happen, it can hit pretty hard. And if that's always your focus, you're not thinking about the process leading to that moment. And the process for me has always been something I've loved. I've always enjoyed the training side of things, the bit before the final moment. So for me, that was all I was focusing on, those tiny bits each and every day. And that kind of reduction in those moments has led to kind of reducing things down in my entire life. Joy, gratitude, all these things stem from from that moment. Yeah, amazing. In terms of just that, that energy of receptivity it seems to be something that i'm exploring a lot at the moment that gratitude for what you have and for for what you are and for those around you and everything it it sounds like that's a such a such a powerful force and and it's something you speak about a lot how how does how would you represent gratitude your way because i know it's not necessarily just just a straightforward view of you know saying thanks 
for me, it's about those little things kind of each day that, you know, we miss out on. We do, we do take for granted, you know, fresh air, the sun, food to eat. So when people think about practicing gastrochemistry, I think it's just about kind of going through a tick list in their head and going, again, grateful for this, this, and this. Gratitude is about when you feel yourself or wanting to be grateful for something, it should make you feel happy. It should create some kind of physical, emotional feeling in your body. And if it doesn't, then don't add it to your list of things you should be grateful for because it's pointless. Is it essentially falling back in love with life? Is it that kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. Because for me at the start, especially when I was, I kind of don't do it now. I think it's just become such an ingrained thing in my head now, but especially early on, and especially like the mornings I'd wake up, you know, I was thinking about going down and painting. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm grateful I could do that. I love that. That's going to make, make me happy. That puts a smile on my face immediately. Or, you know, thinking about the breakfast I'm going to have. Or if it's the weekend and I can have a breakfast that, you know, like more cal- calorific than I don't have during the week. All these things that are, they're small, but, you know, they'd put a smile on my face or they'd make me just feel better i'd feel that kind of just emotional lift in my, in myself and now it's just i think it's just something in my head that i immediately can switch to and again that took a lot of time it took a lot of practice but it's one of those things again it is worth it it's worth putting the time putting the effort into and thinking about and really kind of really digging deep into it's interesting i've i've always thought that passion and 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 those kind of things pay you back instantaneously it's not something you do so at the end you feel good it's the doing of it that feels good it almost sounds like gratitude for you is that you, you don't go and be grateful because later in the day you're going to get something back for it it's the being grateful is the return in itself and that brings you into a moment the moment almost because you're not putting aside the great moment till later on once you've earned it with gratitude the gratitude puts you right in the moment almost yeah Oh, definitely. Because then it means that, you know, then when I go into things like painting, I'm already kind of in this great mood where I can just kind of go in and attack it. And you know, I'm not worried about things or can just kind of immediately go in running. And I think it's a great thing to do in the morning. You know, it's a great way to start the day. It's a great way to get your mind kind of switched to a more positive mindset. Be able to start the day in a positive way and thinking in that way really clears your mind completely. So that when something negative does happen during the day, you're in a far better place to kind of confront it and deal with it. You're on the front foot rather than the back foot. You can just get into it. It's so powerful. So many people have written about so many things like this. And yet I, I get the impression that this isn't necessarily something you've been reading about and, and trying to implement so much as it seems to have almost organically just appeared for you almost revealed itself to you is, is this you know is, is this something that's continuing to happen are you, are you finding you're you're receiving more and more of these kind of bits of guidance from within oh hugely i mean i'm still there's a lot even i guess through lockdown i've done a lot podcasts a lot of interviews and things you know i was having to a lot of people ask me you know how how do you get through lockdown how do you do this so i was having to find ways of describing it and you know describing what i do because me there's not a huge like conscious act on my side it's just I've kind of got these tools that I learned that I can just kind of switch to and go into without really thinking about. Whereas now, and I think actually after writing the second book, I'm having to think a lot more philosophically about life. I'm having to look inside myself so I can articulate to others what I am feeling or doing. And the more I talk about it, the more I understand it better. Even now, I still kind of I describe things in ways I haven't done before. Again, I'm just very lucky that I'm able to do that and, and do those things. So yeah, it's something that keeps growing. And again, it's like I said earlier, never fully know ourselves, which is fun and exciting. And I'm, like I said, I'm still over 12 years on since my accident. There's a lot more still to learn and understand. Listening to, to you in that way, going back to how we were both talking about ourselves, especially you were telling us about you as a, as a younger guy, being a bit more controlling, a bit more socially concerned about what you're going to say. And I guess having some kind of control and guarantee over how things were going to turn out would have been quite comforting. But it sounds now as if you're you're almost enjoying the unknown of what's coming so that it leads you into a space where you start saying things i know this has happened to me a few times where you start speaking thinking where's this coming from yeah. i didn't know i was going to explain it that way you know this is this is really exciting and and i'm just wondering about the unknown for you now you know as a it may have been something that sounded quite worrying to you as a as a, a you know a teenager about the whole kind of fear of failure and if it doesn't turn out this way and what if there's a mind going all these places but it sounds now as if your mind is connected to the unknown almost as a friend 
knowing that that creativity is in the unknown and that inspiration is is in the unknown i mean i think i mean the unknown like you said i mean it could it can be filled with wonderful great possibilities and opportunities that we don't know and i think it's going into unknown thinking that rather than the bad things might happen it's i mean everything in the future to all of us is unknown but for me, preparing the future isn't having kind of big long-term goals. It's not about doing those things. It's about putting in all the tools and everything now, each and every day, that makes our future clearer and better. Because it means we can attack each day positively. We can have all these things at our fingertips that we can use to make our future better. And I think being present each and every day is, is huge so that when the unknown does come, we are able to grab it or attack it or whatever it is that comes. Yeah, it isn't something I fear anymore. Do you feel that some of that might be to do with that creative influence in, in terms of accepting your past and, and living in this moment now and then and almost creating that future? Especially looking at yours with regard to the willingness to move forward in that space that, you know, do, do you almost sort of have to check yourself to be like, you know, this is amazing. I mean, here you are, you've got books out, you've got your your art is phenomenal. There's people, there's people buying it. You're, you're even in your early galleries, you're running out of prints. Is it something you kind of think to yourself, maybe, you know, this isn't just a, a lucky spell where things are turning out for me and I'm being rewarded. Do you find your creative influences moving beyond what your old limited boundaries almost of what I can do? It's now you've got a, a greater influence. I don't know. It seems incredible to me. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, everything I'm doing now, I'm, I'm doing things far better than I ever was able to. I don't. I just, I just think I'm just willing and open to just keep my mind and options open in my life. I'm never really shutting the door on stuff. I'm just always allowing myself to explore things because I, I think, cause it, especially amongst disabled people, is we are having to always be creative in our lives. Anyways, we're having to kind of always work around obstacles, adapt to things constantly, and I think that is a huge part of it as well for me. You know, whether I'm out and about or at home, there's kind of all certain little challenges that I'm having to constantly tackle each and every day. But again, you know, that just comes part and parcel of my life. Those are things that, you know, I don't really think about. I just kind of deal with and get on with it. I really feel like that the that your energy, well, the way that I used to be was that I'd, I'd lead with my physicality and then bring my energy afterwards when it was okay. Whereas I find what I'm sort of striving now is to lead with my energy mm. and then... Yeah, and then deal with the more limited side of what I what I what I can and can't affect physically. But it just yeah, that's why I find you an inspiration in that respect. For me, is that your your energy is just it's it's clearly leading somewhere. And, and I wanted to find out from you what what's the future then for you? What's what is striving? You, you mentioned about having longer term goals and breaking them into those smaller incremental kind of challenges and what have you. But what, what what's in there in in your intentions and your ambitions for the future? Well, I still currently live at home I'm with mum and dad. But next, well, actually a week today, I'm, I'm moving out, which is, is going to be a big step, big moment for me. At that point, you know, I'm going to have to take kind of full reins, full control of my life. I'm going to have to start paying bills. Let's get away with that for me, 30 years. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be the next big one. That's something I'm going to have to kind of break down again, take bit by bit. And I think, you know, start again in a way and rebuild in a, in a new environment. But I think, again, that will bring different opportunities for me because I'm going to have full control. Well, control, I'm going to have full control of everything I can control, not of, not of everything. You know, it'd be fun and it would take for a little while to get used to, but I'm looking forward to that new challenge and change. After that, I don't know, I need to find something new, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I think it's so, so powerful, mate. And I, and I, I love the, one of the messages that I, I think that keeps coming to me and it's, it's my own take on it. So excuse me if it, if it doesn't sort of sit right with you, but it's so powerful for me is that with that acceptance, it's almost clearing the way for for your creative power and your taking back control of your imagination to allow it to go wherever it can go. Whereas before, I, I'm so aligned with what you were talking about before, it's almost like you try to imagine something great. And before you even get near it, you get the, oh, but what if this happens? And oh, that'll never happen. And because of this never happened, and because that, you know, and you can't, you're almost sort of thinking, well, hold on, I want to imagine something great, but I can't even get near it. But then that work with acceptance, facing your challenges, almost becoming excited about your challenges, because you know, they're almost, they're almost working for you in a way. They're, they're guiding you somewhere pretty special. And I, you know, it's so, it's so powerful to, to see it. I don't know whether, you know, whether that, that rings true for you, but it's, it's certainly what's coming up in me. No, thanks. 
I mean, those challenges are fun. They are exciting because you don't know kind of what you're going to find over the other side of it, whether it is something physical that you're aiming for or kind of in yourself, whether it's kind of unlocks something, again, something new. The biggest change for me is is public speaking. That terrified me more than anything else in the world for Maxon. And I think kind of encapsulated my entire mindset for Maxon. I mean, even GCSE English, we used to have to get up part of the course was standing up in front of class, giving a kind of short talk. And I remember the week it was happening, I kind of ducked, always tried to avoid the teacher's eye. And I knew when it came to the Friday, I'd have to get up and do it. But luckily, the weekend before, I had my face kicked in pretty bad in a rugby game. So I was like, cut, battered, bruised over my face. Came to the Friday, I feigned this kind of delayed concussion thing. So I went and laid in the medical centre for like an hour. I always had to skip the following lesson to make it look legit. But I just hated it. And that was in a class of like 15 people. So when I was first asked to do it at Saracens, I suddenly thought, you know what, I've ducked, I've got out of this so many times past, why not? I'm going to agree to do it. But even in the build-up to that six, that final day, you know, I kind of agreed six months in the future, something will pop up, something won't let it happen. Remember when it came to a week before, I was a bit like, oh, God, this is actually going to happen. And I was probably not very nice to people before. I was like really nervous, playing on my mind all week. I was trying to learn a half-hour talk off by heart, which is pointless. I don't even know why I was trying to do that. But the day it happened, the moment I settled into talk, I just found myself in this flow, and it was great. And the moment I finished, I had this sense of relief, but also this massive like rush of adrenaline, this feeling that I'd never felt ever in my life until that point. So whenever I go out and do talks now, it's always a new venue, there's always something new, there's always going to things pop up that I'm going to have to deal with there. But I know that I'm going to enjoy that because come the other end of it, I'm going to have something good. I'm going to have this joy that I know I get from doing that, and it's great. And then conquering that challenge and doing that has given me so much more confidence in myself, confidence socially, confidence to just talk and be open more about things. And that's just all those talks. And it wasn't just from one talk. It's from every single talk I've done along the way and will continue to be whatever, whenever I give talks. And that's great. And that, yeah, that challenge excites me each and every time. Something you mentioned in one of your books that really stuck out for me was just this idea of that you, you don't rely on anyone to know who you are. And I think the role of challenges in that and meeting them, facing them is, is so, so big. And, and that exploration of who you are, for me anyway, doesn't seem to have an end. And I think that's the most powerful part is, is that the, the, the growth is unlimited in that area. Whereas you mentioned in the gym before and those things, there's, there's normally a pretty big limit on most of that stuff. Whereas this is a space that is full with excitement. I want to ask you kind of as a final question, and it's something I'm really interested in doing this at the, the end of, of people I speak to is just with the space you are now and, and maybe relative to where you've been in your younger days, how would you define a life well lived or if not a life well lived, more living fully in the moment? What 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 is it now compared to what it used to be? I mean, it used to be succeeding in sport or trying to get the best grades possible at the cost of enjoying what I was doing whereas now it's okay I'm going to enjoy myself no matter the cost I'm going to find anything that makes me happy no matter how small <laughs> and I think for me that's just it that's everything I try to do now is just to be happy and and is and is that what's behind meeting these challenges yeah is that when you meet a challenge that puts you in a space where you're not it's to say right how do I how do I find the joy that's available right here and now. But yeah, that, it's not even in challenges. It's in the most mundane, minute moments of our day-to-day lives. It's one of the things I've, I get asked a lot of by people, especially after lockdown and things is, you know, what do you do? How do you keep yourself motivated? And these things I said, well, I reduced my joy down. I've reduced my joys down to, to nothing almost. It's, you know, for me, it's a nice cup of tea and looking outside is, the sun through a cloud, it's all these things. These are joyous, happy moments that we do all experience in our day-to-day lives that do make us happy. But because they're so abundant in our lives, we just become numb to them. And we're always told, again, by the society thing that, you know, joy should be buying something new or going out or going on holiday, all these things. Yes, they are joyful, but little joys are abundant each and every single day. And if you're able to recognize them and embrace them, suddenly you realize, you know, every day is a good day. You realize actually, you know, the reason why negative things hit us and impact us greatly are because they are so rare in our lives. And I think once we understand that, once you recognize that, your mindset really does change. 
and you find you are happier, you are more kind of upbeat, you are able to do things, you know, challenge yourself and move on. And again, it takes time, it takes patience, but it's so worth it. Beautiful. May I, uh, I cannot thank you enough for your time, for allowing us to have, have you expressing you the way you do. It's immense. And, uh, I know I'll be badgering you in the future just to, to keep in touch and feed from this spirit you have. And, and I wish you all the best for with everything you're doing for the world of those. I know you're campaigning brilliantly for, for the rights of the disabled and so on, but also with your arts and your creativity, your writing, the impact you're having on, on everyone. It's huge. Thank you so much for, for, for no, cheers, man. No, thanks for asking me. Yes, pleasure. Always pleasure. And just like that, we're at the end of another episode of I Am. I'm so, so grateful to all of you for listening in. I'm enormously keen that this be a two-way conversation. So if you've got any thoughts, questions, ideas, anything that's been inspired by these conversations, anything you just want to get off your chest and get out there, then please send them across in the reviews or just get in touch on social media. I absolutely love holding these types of discussions. I do believe there is no more powerful an opportunity in life than to look at what we can make of our time here on earth, individually and collectively. There's so much scope and depth in these conversations and all the learnings and lessons I do feel are limitless. If you haven't already, and you want to know a little bit more about why I'm holding this space and talking to these guests, then do head over to the Tuesday episodes. There I'll explain my journey and my history with these people. I'll also use this time to answer any of your questions, so don't hesitate to get in touch, and I'd love it if you'd rate, review, follow, and subscribe to the show. Until next week, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to I Am with me, Johnny Wilkinson. This show is brought to you by Mags Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith, and our editor is Kit Melson. Before I go, I want to say a final thank you to the sponsors of today's podcast, Vitality. For me, the secret to a happy and healthy life is about living consciously. And when we can align those little things we do and decisions we make every day with the life we really want to live, it really makes a difference, which is when the team over at Vitality comes in. Their comprehensive cover enables us all to live a happier, healthier life, whether it's through offering discounts on gym memberships at Virgin Active, Nuffield Health or Pure Gym, or on activity trackers from Garmin, Polar and Samsung. For me, I've been an ambassador with Vitality for several years now, and undoubtedly the feeling of true support when someone cares about you and your health and your quality of life, it makes a massive difference. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply.